Welcome, welcome to the Composting Consciousness Podcast, hosted by Gray Garland and myself, Tango Faye Vitelli. Composting Consciousness is an alchemical container of aliveness and alignment aimed at re-enchanting reality with curiosity and creativity. The work of composting your consciousness is you doing you with what you have. Deceptively simple, deeply nuanced. Today's episode begins with me asking Gray about their latest blog post titled Embody Your Highest Creative Self Now, which leads us to the topic of perfectionism, We talk about how you can't be in love and fear mode at the same time, like you can't be open and closed at the same time. We also touch on the vulnerability of flow states and the resilience of believing in something greater than yourself. Near the end, we speak on parts work, like inner parts work, and break down what responsibility means to us. This is a very flowing, wisdom-filled episode. I love it. So grab your supplies for making art, your shoes for taking a walk, or even a broom to get some cleaning done, whatever works for you, and settle in for 45 minutes of musing and giggling from your favorite friendly neighborhood existential gardeners. So I want to have a better question, but mostly I just want to bombard you. Like, where did this embody your highest creative self now? The future is already here. Snatch it. Like where you, you surprised me with this one the other day. I didn't even know you really? were. Yeah. Uh, well, well, yeah. I mean, I guess Adele would be a surprise. Cause <laughs> yeah. We don't tell each we other really... before posting things. No, we don't. Uh, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, I, I opened the app for an entirely different reason and then saw a new composting consciousness post and was like, ooh. <laughs> well, I've been thinking about this lately. So, something that I had shared on stories like sparked it the other day. It was like about anticipatory regret like for creatives that like you're anticipating that the thing you're going to make is going to go badly so you don't do it. And that just kind of like triggered this thing that I've already been thinking about because I made my word for 2023 space because I was like, my perfectionistic issues are if I can't show up perfectly right now today, then I don't want to do the work to get to the point where I can show up perfectly in the way I imagine or until I can show up just in a way until I can get comfortable with the way I'm showing up. Cause you know, it doesn't yeah. always, it's always one of the two. And so like this year I've been thinking a lot about how like in order to get to that, like perfected creative embodiment that I see in the future, I have to be fully investing. Now you have to be investing the same amount of energy at every point along the way or else you're you're building to nothing you're not building you're just sitting there and waiting for something to happen that's not going to happen it really is reorienting to time differently because I think like yes because I totally resonate with these patterns also (laughs) in myself in my own life and I think that that perfectionist thing that's like trying to control 
how I'm presented is like, if we don't do this perfect now, then it's actually, I don't know about you, but I extended it to, if I don't do this perfectly now and I try to do it, I'm actually making it worse for myself in the future. I'm doing myself a disservice is how I talk myself well, that's out That's interesting. Because I'll be like, oh, I'll that develop a bad rela- uh, relationship. I'll develop a bad uh, reputation is like what I uh, yes. freak myself out about. Absolutely. Uh, just That's a big reorienting to like time and I guess just how reality works. I'll find better words for it one yes. day of just being like, oh, there's this reflection practice or reflection principle going on uh, mm-hmm. that if I just actually start feeling it and embodying it, the snatching it now, <laughs> it does actually yes. just sort of start to build the thing externally in ways that, yeah, the way I've been brought up just seems like total bonkers, magic, uh, weirdness, but you just play with it like a little everyday scientist playing with my life. Anyway, I interrupted Yes. You. And like, that's <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, that's like how Eric Wargo's book, Precognitive Precognitive Dreamwork and the Long Self, has really, like, rewired my brain on that. Like, combining that and, like, P the Fury's reality or timeline jumping, like, has really made me realize that, like, that perfected self I imagine already exists. And I can, like, gradually pull them closer. That's kind of like you can't timeline jump too far. You can't timeline jump all the way into that perfect self. But you can make little jumps, And you can make little steps towards like dissolving the beliefs, keeping you from being that person, like discarding outmoded uh, parts of self and things like that. You can make like the the small incremental changes to get there. But the key is just really believing that like that is accessible to me right now, that I wouldn't even be imagining that there is something bigger for me to grow into if it didn't already exist in the future. Like that desire to grow into something more is just like future me being like I'm so cool rippling back in time and hitting me and being like oh I should become cooler which like even that (laughs) it's like realizing that you're cool now that you're cool enough now that you're perfect enough now for exactly where you are to be doing exactly where you're doing is huge which is why like in that post I talked about like how would you treat like your creative idols if you go back in time and meet them like at the beginning of their career I've been like super into like Mm, researching David Bowie lately I've always liked him but like I started reading this autobiography that I temporarily put on hold but like it talks a lot about his struggling years like he had he had so much struggle it was looking like this man was just never going to become successful for how long he like really experimented and just failed failed over and over again but like at every point news to me because I don't don't know any of David Bowie's background so like what kind of what kind of fails or whatever. I mean, he had like multiple (laughs) different like bands that didn't like quite take off. Um, And he, 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 I mean, he published like a bunch of different albums that just never really were successful. They're just kind of like shot out into the ether and, and didn't really catch on. And like his style also like pretty, radically changed like i mean he he himself identifies as like a mod in his early days he was like mm-hmm. i can't i can't like remember enough of what i read to like repeat some of his inspirations but yeah it was just a very different very different vibe from what he ultimately ended up doing i love that like i i didn't know that at all but it's somehow just yeah not surprising because that's what a lot of these 
uh, know thyself journeys look like. I think it's just one of the things that not makes this, sense not to this, like... not this, yes, this. Yes. <laughs> I think it's but just one you... of the things that makes him such a perfect like alchemical icon is that like yeah. he he died and rebirthed himself many a time. Yeah, that's how you get that. That's how you distill. <laughs> mm. um, shoot, I just I did that thing where I have ten thoughts and only one mouth. Um, I love this just reorienting to the external again. It's just like not like, yes, things are happening to you. It's so I guess in the beginning, I was offended that these teachers wanted me to like flip everything around. I'm like, yes, things are happening to me. And I, what I wish I had heard. So I will now tell you all is like, yes. And instead of, or (laughs) yes. And like things are happening to me and I'm participating in them. <laughs> yes. And I am happening and to the things. <laughs> that that was enough to like, you know, keep my ego on board and not fight me the whole way through these little life experiments. I think I've mentioned in in my in my coaching it usually comes up too of I think the best way I have it to remind people is like things are happening literally and symbolically at all, like simultaneously, like the literal and the metaphorical is always happening all the time. So when you, when you let yourself go into the metaphorical layers of like, what could this relationship be reflecting about me? You're not denying like what's actually about the other person and what's happening in the external. You're just yes. Anding you're adding to it. You're learning like the nuanced layers of your reality and yourself. And for some reason that is that's tasty to me. It's like getting to taste all of the notes in the perfect like I was going to say cappuccino, but I don't really drink coffee much anymore. <laughs> yes, and that is like the way that you just framed that is really interesting because it shows how people like really impoverish themselves with their own victim triangle rides, refusing to see how they're contributing to something because like not only is it empowering themselves. to like realize that you have some level of control over these things and that you are participating in some way but it also just like makes the world a more boring and uninteresting place like less less it, it kind of kills curiosity there's like less to engage with I guess I mean yeah I say a lot especially when you when you're riding the triangle a lot the drop victim triangle drama triangle I just call it the triangle nowadays <laughs> uh or we do <laughs> um your reality is smaller. I talk about like, and I've used that framing long before I had any of this knowledge or experience. Like as a teenager, I would comment on like certain people just seem to have a really small take or small version of reality that they were running on, um, which was, which I just found, I guess as a, as a teenager, I was just annoyed and, you know, arrogantly pissed off about it because I thought that their small reality was forcibly keeping my reality small. <laughs> that, relatable. You know, Very relatable. <laughs> we got really good at playing the blame game when you're just so good. given practice for it every single day. <laughs> Expert mode. Expert um, mode blame game. <laughs> there was something else there. It keeps your reality small. It limits... Um, Nah, I've lost it. If it wants to come back, it will. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was like, I was thinking, so I've like, I've had this realization dawning that I historically and still at times do not like to be in my own flow. And I thought that was really interesting because, I mean, I had been making art daily for like a couple years in there and like constantly seemingly like in my creative flow. But whenever I really think about what flow states are, which is just a different state of consciousness, like dreaming, it's like meditating. And also like, I think people think that flow states are something that only happens when you're like making something. They don't realize that flow states can happen when you're just folding some towels. It's like, if you have, if you are like well-practiced at like meditating and at holding that pose, it's kind of like how in yoga you're you're trying to like hold yourself in these poses that are active, but kind of rest in the pose. You're trying to balance the the active and passive. That's kind of what a flow state is. So like if you are really good at being in flow, you can be in a flow state doing just about anything. And whenever you're in a flow state, you are you have heightened permeability. Your reality filter is dialed down a little bit so conscious and unconscious are talking more internal and external are talking more there's like a heightened interconnectedness and for what what made me resistant to being in my flow was that if there were emotions and parts of self that I was not willing to be with anytime I enter a flow state I am immediately making myself more available to those feelings and those parts of self and sometimes it's happening like at a slightly more unconscious layer where I just, I walk away from a, from making art or some kind of creative flow practice, realizing that like, oh no, now I have all of these things that I have to sit with, all these feelings that I didn't want to come up. There's something vulnerable about flow. Yes, I never... And I realized that this is openness, that what I have finally achieved is, mm. I feel like I'm finally opening in the sense that even whenever I have some like contraction going on, when I have some like feelings that I would typically want to label as yucky, I'm still willing to be with them. I'm still willing to like be present to them. I can still go on my little meditative walks and still spend time with it. So I can still make things. I don't just like shut myself down and totally collapse and stop creating things, which for a while I had, I had completely collapsed and was not making things. Like, are you, are you saying you can like hold more? without collapsing yes kind of, like like be with more of yourself that's so yeah bad. <laughs> very exciting that. that's why i was thinking of it yesterday as like a sovereignty topic openness versus collapse yeah yeah well yeah um, as soon as you said that composting uh your collapse just yeah totally made sense a nice yes. ring to it <laughs> <laughs> oh yes we all know i love alliteration <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> everything i make it's the worst I, uh, oh man, I still, I don't know if it's, I think it's also an Aries moon thing. It's like the, the external astrology and my internal hormones are lining up in such a way that my inside is just like exploding with thoughts and ideas (laughs) in creative ways. I know I mentioned this on my, uh, like day of visibility thing I'm doing on Instagram the other day too, of just like, and it, for me, it just feels like a lot because I am coming out of. Uh, of a period of like I wanted to sit and write and like nothing was really ready 
And mm. uh, my my body and other parts of me were like, no, let's do other things. And my ego was like, but I want to write copy and I want to launch a project. And me, like I, I had to just kind of like be with it while it took a little tantrum <laughs> that yeah. things weren't aligning or whatever. Um, other side note, I... I tricked myself, not trick. I like to use momentum instead of force. Oh, that's part of what I was thinking about when you were talking about flow. I was like, yes, when when I'm in flow, the micromanager in me is gone. So it's yes. not like you need to think about this or you need to do this next or here's why we're doing this or don't like forget inner this editors, like, quiet. Those just turn off and everything just goes, which I think is why it's called flow. So there's this momentum already. And the whole know thyself combining like know thyself with work smarter, not harder kind of concepts. Um, I put on like a 25 minute uh, meditative sounds video over an 18 minute yoga thing so that I would just do the yoga and then that video would end. And I knew that I still had like a seven minute sound container. So I tried to get myself to just flow right from the yoga into a meditation the key part being here is I'm the kind of person who finds it uh, difficult to do just like a sitting, breathing, nothingness kind of meditation. I usually yeah. meditate in other ways. Um, and I was just curious. I was like, will this work? What will happen? And uh, focused on my breathing in different ways, did some you know, classic mental watching thoughts like clouds or whatever. And just mm -hmm. as things got quieter than I really ever expected before any part of me was like itching to, to move out of the pose or do something else. I had this clarity strike me that was just kind of like, you know, every time we talk about kaleidoscope, the course I'm writing with another person, whoever that other person is, as long as it's not just with myself, when I start engaging another human being on the topic of kaleidoscope, I immediately like feel a contraction and start thinking thoughts like, this is not a good course. This person doesn't care what I'm talking about. This person doesn't want to hear about this. You're not doing a good job describing this. Like, but then as soon as I, as soon as the conversation ends and I'm just with myself, that thought doesn't come up at all. And I'm fully confident and I can feel the whole course and da, 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 da. But it was just so it was like just in the peripheral of my like self-awareness that this was happening. And because I gave myself, I did not make it through seven minutes. I only made it about four and a half minutes. And then I opened my eyes and checked the time and got up and did something else. <laughs> but in that four and a half minutes oh, I gave myself, I had that like lightning strike of clarity. And it became obvious that that wasn't actually about the course at all. It's about... um just my confidence in being seen. Like I'm going to be seen in a whole new way when I, when yes. I launch this course. And if I do a shitty job of explaining it to other people, then I'm, I'm, you know, staying in my zone of familiarity. I'm quote unquote self-sabotaging. If you, if you're the kind of person who plays with that concept, or maybe you've tabooed it for something else. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a form of quote unquote self-sabotage just to slash self-love because that's what self-sabotage is to keep myself in that same small pen of, oh, if we don't get people interested, then they won't take it. And then you won't have to be exposed, you know, that kind of mm. sneaky, sneaky little thing, which I love. I loved it when I noticed it. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Like, that was like really what. 
our work, but especially your work is designed to do is help people to see how your habits are loving you, how your little self-sabotaging patterns are loving you. And like, isn't it wonderful when you can like have that epiphany of like, oh, this is keeping me so safe and actually serving such an important function. I'm so grateful for that. Like the way that you're describing the way whenever you will talk to somebody else about kaleidoscope and see it differently reminds me of how Luis Mojica talks about not overly attuning to someone else's view of you. You have to attune to like the inside view as well. And when you're on when you're mm. on your own, you're already just kind of automatically self-attuned. Which like not everybody is. You definitely can be on your own and still because I definitely I definitely oh, love to do that. I love to just sure. be yeah. Is <laughs> <laughs> just like how present, how I I would love to someday be able to launch a course or something on that, but I'd have to, it's so ingrained or in me and I did it in such small little steps over time. It's not really something I'm in a position to teach yet, but oh my God, the practice of just like coming back to myself dozens of times a day. And I, literally I'm at the point where it is dozens of times a day where I'm like in my body and I'm checking in. And sometimes it's two seconds. Sometimes it's 30 seconds. Sometimes it's half an hour. Like, (laughs) but um, I'm just, I'm just always coming back. The present is a gift. It's almost like I have just done positive conditioning where it's a little reward treat thing. I turned it into uh, I learned the word glimmer this week as the 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 opposite of trigger. Yeah. My, my friend Thax told me about that. Um, And uh, I was like, I'm so excited to have this concept just to have something opposite of a trigger. If a, if a trigger is something that brings you down the autonomic ladder, uh, you know, and brings you down into uh, fight or flight or freeze or whatever triggers you, then a glimmer is something that moves you up the autonomic ladder, uh, Mm -hmm. up towards social regulation. Um, And I started to forget what I'm saying. (laughs) Why am I talking way about? you describe like attuning Glimmers. to self reminds me of like whenever you just you, you take a little break from work to have like one little piece of chocolate and it just like consumes your senses you just like become one with the chocolate maybe this is an autistic experience but, but like <laughs> you just feel like it's like a fucking chocolate commercial where the woman looks like she's having an orgasm to the chocolate you're just so in the present moment it's it it, it is like a little like nibble of I mean I love candy so candy is a good <laughs> metaphor for it but um, you brought up Luis Mojica and it was in his course that I learned um now the I've the phrase is gone but like where does it feel good in your body to like look for the pleasures yes. like yeah. of course I'm used to looking for the tension or the discomfort or you know just outright pain but then when he prompted to just like, okay, now where does it feel good? I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. And I have found just like sensations I never thought of or imagined or it, like if you don't go looking for them, you won't find them. It's like nocturnal animals. If you only, you know, walk in the woods during the day and you're not curious or anything, you'll never see certain, uh, you know, owls or critters or I, yes. I can't think of things. <laughs> But yeah, yes. now I get to drop in and I'm like, oh, my my sternum actually feels really good. Or usually it's like the back of my thighs or my ass just feels really mm. like there's a bubbly, effervescent love of life that lives in my ass for some reason. <laughs> I 
all of that. <laughs> and and she's not very loud and like she won't get my attention but if i come back to center and focus she's right there waiting for me like pretty much not every time also like how time. he has like this exercise where you attune to something that feels pleasurable in your environment and i noticed when i started taking these little walks in the park next to my house i would just look at the trees and the way the trees on the path all like come together like perfect puzzle pieces and just like feeling mm. that it feels like euphoric and for years i i like sneer at people who wanted to go look at a sunset i was like how could you possibly <laughs> find pleasure in nature could never be me but like now i just feel like i just like how crazy that we can just tap that line of pure euphoria whenever i'm i used to think and i bet a lot of people like that that was like a personality trait. Oh, you're yes. either someone who likes to watch sunsets or you don't. And it's yes. just who you are. <laughs> and now I hear and see a lot of things where I'm like, oh, honey, that's not that's not what you think it is. Like that's a sign of disembodiment or disassociation or stress or like these things yeah. that you think are just, yeah, per- personality traits. I don't even know if I... My like overly autistic philosopher ass wants to be like, what is a personality trait? <laughs> I'm like, no, three thousand word essay, go away. <laughs> I was like, speaking of being dissociated, there's this person that I follow that I I absolutely love this person, and they were talking about being a Christian and kind of working on you know because they they are autistic, they don't identify with um some of the portraits of Christianity that we see frequently in this culture. But they, Mm -hmm. at the end of their post, like also talking about this, they said, the universe doesn't care about you. And it was interesting because I think I would have had no emotional reaction to that previously. But like at this point in my life, when I read that, that just made me sad because I was thinking how it's like how I'm walking and I'm feeling the trees and I'm feeling like supported by the trees and I feel Mm -hmm. like connected to the trees and like the trees care about me. And it, Mm -hmm. it makes me think about how like even in AA, one of the first steps I have never been to AA, so I don't know where exactly it falls, but I know that one of the first steps, maybe even the first step of AA, is that you have to decide to believe in a power greater than yourself. It mm-hmm. can just be the power of people, the power of like humans on this planet all being connected, but you you have to decide on some. And like in Brene Brown's work, she's found that one of the top qualities for resilience is spiritual connectedness where again she found that it doesn't matter if you have a religion or if you believe that there's an organizing principle to the universe even if you just believe in human beings that is a power greater than yourself that gives you resilience and gives you like the desire to carry on but of course you're not going to believe in that if you are disconnected from yourself and your own body which is like the transmitter for all the other vibes and interconnectedness around us Okay, I remember the thing from earlier because you brought it up again, Uh, the thing that I forgot, which is so important. I love this principle because I've heard both like biologists, like scientists, and like spiritual teachers and philosophers talk about this concept. Um, So it just reinforces that it's true and it reinforces for me the fractal principle of existence (laughs) Um, slash fractal holographic. Uh, Anyways, From a biology mode, we'll just start there. Like a cell cannot be in growth mode 
and defense protection mode at the same time. Like there are lots of things, like a cell can multitask in a lot of ways. That is not one of the ways. It's either- no, you're open in, or you're closed. Exactly. Uh, you're either in, some people call it love mode, where like you can do healing, you can do growth, you know, expansion, all of those things. Or you're in fear mode, uh, where you're trying to like, you know, you are trying to protect yourself from a, you know, if it's a cell from like a toxin or anything like that. But this, this principle like scales and I won't give my whole spiel, but it totally scales to the person. Like if you're in scarcity mode, victim mode, collapse mode, like these kinds of things, of course you're cut off from curiosity. Of course you're cut off from optimism. Of course you're cut off from like feeling the love all around you because you can't be doing both of those things at the same time. So until you can, uh, I don't know, the first words that came to me are like convince yourself that you're safe until you can align inner and outer and be like, I am safe. I don't know the words I want there. <clears throat> then of course all of the mumbo jumbo love curiosity creativity just sounds like utter nonsense bullshit because you're still behind the wall where you if you're still feeling fear and anxiety like every day then you can't be feeling those other things there there's lots of things we can be ambivalent about and feel like at the same time but kind of those are not it um, I'm sure there's a little like wiggle room when you're in the middle, you know, everything's a little ambiguous in life. So you can fight with me on that if you want to. <laughs> but uh, I can definitely say from my own life, you probably can too, as someone who lived for mm -hmm. years in like fear, scarcity, anxiety all the time. It blows my mind how easy and abundant now it is to access like curiosity, joy, joy of all things, <laughs> you know, peace. Yes. Uh which I used to just roll my eyes at the word or concept of peace <laughs> for the longest time. Yeah, I thought yeah. peace was was just like as ridiculous as heaven, which I also don't think is ridiculous anymore. Um, someone said, what if heaven is the body and that like has not left me? Um, also, heaven's supposed to be like a state of mind that also makes sense. Anyways. Something I've been working I'm with joy as right I've now. like... <laughs> Yeah, right. As I've like moved out of an active, anxious, depressive state where all of me identifies as anxious and depressive, I hit the spot where like I felt my my conscious self felt good and optimistic and safe. But then I was like, so then why am I also closed? Why can I not move forward on ideas and make things and be in flow and it's because I was still in this like, even though I intellectually know and have experience with parts work and know that I am not a singular self I was still falling in the trap of the singular self and thinking that I can just that whatever my my dominant conscious self is feeling can just trump everything else going on and I don't have to like get under there and dig up the resistance. And, but meanwhile, it's like, I have all of these little inner child selves that I'm just completely ignoring. I've abandoned them, that they have all these feelings and I've just locked them in a room and said, I don't want to look at you. And I, I is, it has really been a struggle for me to both, to acknowledge that there are days when I feel really, really good. And also there are parts of me that don't feel great, that are working through things, that are moving through things that like sometimes 
Absolutely. It's the paradox of bothness that because and I used to notice like even whenever I would be journaling, my tendency is if I would feel even just a tiny bit of like offness, but I generally felt fine and everything had gone well that day and it had all gone according to my plan. I wanted to just not even mention the offness. I didn't even want to acknowledge it because mm-hmm. it felt like it was bad luck or something. Like I was encouraging more of it by looking at it. And so I've been like in this intentional practice to not just like notice if there's some offness, but look for it. Look for the parts of me that are not fully on board so that I can show them some love and safety so that I can get yeah. them caught up and reintegrated. All my parts get a seat at the table. They all get a voice kind of thing. Yeah, the first way you were describing it, which I also totally went through, you like learned a bunch of things, but then I would I would use the words like then my ego co-opted it. My ego was like, oh, sure, I know how to do that. So I'm still going to do the same thing, but I'm going to like paint a new coat of paint on it kind of thing. And by ego, (laughs) I I like to use uh, Eckhart Tolle's Tolle. I've heard different people pronounce that differently. Uh, But his definition is like just the part of you that says I and like I have. So if you're like, I am this, I have that, like just that general part is the ego part. And I like to think of it as... um, the non our non-material skin (laughs) like if we have metaphorical organs which is how I kind of think of the planets in astrology where you have uh you know your drives or what's comfortable to you or your philosophies or you know uh those different things the ego is like the skin that kind of holds all those organs in but like your actual skin, that's not the whole of you. It's just a helpful container. Um, and part of the composting consciousness work is decentering from the ego self, which is not necessarily killing the ego. <laughs> it's just being like, oh, you are one seat at a very large table. There are a lot of parts of me in here. I love Teal Swan's parts work. Uh, and she goes back to the metaphor a lot of... Um, you know, like a long rowboat or a canoe or whatever. And you'll find parts of you are paddling in opposite directions. <laughs> so even, mm, you yes, know, you, you were mainly giving attention to the one at the head of the boat that's like paddling really hard, but it's like, why am I not? Or you might even kind of be getting somewhere, but there's a little bit of resistance and you just keep ignoring the one paddler at the back who's like trying to go the other direction. <laughs> that is a great Um, visual for that this is exactly how it feels (laughs) (laughs) of course no one can see all the little motions i just did because i cannot talk without moving (laughs) my hands (laughs) the italian blood is still in me somewhere even though it's very diluted (laughs) it's like i don't know why this is coming up exactly i have to talk through it in order to know. <laughs> but I, I was just thinking about how when I started really researching into like internal family systems, they talk about like self energy. And there are five <laughs> P's and some number of C's or something that are supposed to define self energy. It's not a very, uh, it's a very abstract explanation. But I think it's just the way we talk about the awareness that lives through us that is like watching our consciousness do all its little things. But that's kind of self energy. And then you have self-like parts that think that they are the ego, that they think that they're the one organizing, running the show, or they think that they're like the self-energy. 
but they're actually still just they have their little like ulterior motives and are still like blended in and making it difficult for you to kind of see everything that's going on. I need to get back into that and like read more about that because it's very interesting, very helpful mm-hmm. for when I was like writing Part, no, parts that section of Temple. At, like was a big game changer. <laughs> I maybe use that phrase too much. Uh, but, and I resisted it for a long time because I just didn't like, I didn't connect with the language lots of people were using. Uh, Cause there's oodles of way you can do parts work, just like there's oodles of way you can do shadow work, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of a general category. It's just like when you go in, is there one or is there many? And then how do you get the many to like relate to each other? Um, but it's the same as like, you know, mm-hmm. light, you shine like one white light in the prism on one end and like a seven colored rainbow comes out the other end. It's the same beam of light. That's what you are. <laughs> and so instead of just thinking of yourself as the one whiteness, you can think about different and you can split them up in parts as like the planets, or you can like be with the parts just like as they show up. And like a thought is a part you know, there's like all these different ways of doing it, but some people would want to like name each part and like the whole, the part itself becomes a personality that didn't really work for me. Um, I can't think of, there were just many types of parts work that didn't click. And I don't know why I finally, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to think about it as a fractal because I think about how like a group of people, a small group of people living in a community functions similarly to like a whole family or a whole grade in a high school or a whole city or a whole nation. Like there are these similar social dynamics. And so I'm just going to use that fractal, but I'm going to invert it inward and literally just treat everything like it's a whole, like me is a community. And I think that's where like council came through. Um, Although that's one of those things where when that word came to me, I was like, that's a dumb word. Yeah. I don't want it. <laughs> that's that literally also how system psychology yeah. works. That like you as an individual are a system. That's how internal family systems parts well, work. how I And then you have your family, which is a system. And then you're gotcha, organized into maybe gotcha. your job. Yeah. No, just continue the fractal in, inward. It's not, it's actually not that woo-woo of a concept uh, I'm saying yeah. to myself because that's how I used to uh, think. No, not it. at all. You know, I was, I was that per- I was, my thoughts are me, you know, my thoughts are me. Who else would yeah. I be? <laughs> I am just this one person. I wonder if that's also kind of a projector thing because I was, for some reason I'm thinking about how when you were talking about meditating, I read that it might be kind of borderline impossible oh, you mean like projectors to completely projector. clear their mind when meditating like it's okay to just watch the clouds and that be yeah and that that being like how your practice will go you will just notice the thoughts because ajna <laughs> is constantly conceptualizing interpreting, producing opinions so like it makes me wonder if if maybe that is what also made it that like because you have this like constant radio in your head transmitting ideas opinions as this like singular I don't know how it feels to you, but maybe that's like partly why it was hard to buy into the idea of parts. Well, because assume, well, and because I don't know how most people take it, but once I kind of decided to play with it, I was like, well, there are hundreds or thousands of parts. This is too much. This is dumb. I don't want it. So there was, 
<laughs> there were still these stages of acceptance. Oh, yes. It can get very um, overwhelming. That I'm laughing now because I immediately saw those same stages in like a bunch of other areas of my life, like learning I was autistic and stuff like that. You come to it, you learn a little more, you back off, you come to it again, you back off. So just the, whenever like I first, first had to like accept that I am full of parts, yeah. I had a responsibility panic. I was like, wait, I'm not <laughs> even good at being responsible to my ego self my singular self that I think of myself as constantly being interacting with. I can't be responsible for all of these other parts of me. And what you're telling me, there are child parts of me in here that I have to deal with. <laughs> I definitely can't deal with a child part of me <laughs> that I myself am currently pretty immature. So don't tell me I have to go back and deal with child parts of me and teenage parts of me. Oh my God. The, the sensationalness of responsibility. That's such a good point. I wonder also if that's why, if that's related to like why I did my, what I think is a very autistic deep dive into the responsibility, like studying its etymology, studying different, like just researching different philosophers takes on it. I'm like, what is this concept? <laughs> because, <laughs> because, uh, and I'm sure people still hold, like it was just, it's clunky. It feels disciplinarian. It feels like I'm going to be in trouble. Like just the thought of responsibility used to make me automatically feel like I'm about to be in trouble. Whereas now- yes, because adults of- only ever say it as a, a accusatorily, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're inconveniencing me right now. Be responsible. <laughs> Or like, you're responsible for this, so don't fuck it up. It's yeah, like the, you know, yeah. the underlying, so don't fuck it up. Whereas like when I broke it down of it's my ability to respond. And I mean respond mm. as in not react. Like if respond is the yes. opposite of react. And so I just started orienting it to that. So it doesn't actually mean I do it perfectly or I succeed or someone's going to come hit me or whatever. Like it literally just means like, apply a little bit of attention, a little bit of love, a little bit of compassion, instead of just being dissociated and reactive. Yes. And I'm like, oh. Whenever well, you do first that. gave me that piece years ago, that was so monumental to me. Oh, Huge. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. info dumping pays off Responding sometimes. versus reacting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I realized oh, yeah. that I was living my life in reaction and that I was actually afraid of responding because I was in this like constant feeling of being victimized by everything happening to me and constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. I'm still trying to shift out of waiting for the other shoe to drop <laughs> mode completely. I still go back there sometimes because like for a traumatized person, that is comfortable. That if yeah. your belief about reality is that Things, bad things are going to keep happening to you that you have no control of and that you have limited ability to respond to, then it is safer to just give up control, Vigilance. to just give up responsibility entirely and just keep, because it feels like, it feels like you're in a storm and your boat keeps getting rocked by these huge waves and you know that like you're going to get hit by another wave and you're going to have to start like taking buckets and getting the extra water out. You're about to have to do all of this scary effort. So you need to rest in between the waves hitting. And that actually sets you up for more waves to hit you because your reality is reflecting your consciousness. So it's like, oh, you like this carnival ride. I got you. I can keep hitting you with that. But if you just expect that like 
things are mostly, the universe is supporting me. Things are mostly going to go my way. I'll have some struggles. Things won't go my way sometimes, but I'm capable of handling it. Then a, a completely different reality manifests around you. And I was thinking about this recently in the sense that like, yeah, no, it's like, dang it. But I was like thinking about this from the perspective of, yes, I heard this phrase. I heard this phrase. I don't remember where I heard. I'm so bad about quoting things and I don't remember where they came from. And I hate (laughs) it every single time. I want to give credit where credit is due, but I just can't. But it was like somebody saying, you have more power here than you did before. And they were saying it specifically in reference to facing down a similar problem to what you've faced before. And I keep, because I felt like I've gone through these successive expansions in the last couple of years, that every time I catch myself back, wanting to go back into reaction mode of waiting for the next shoe to drop, I tell myself, you have more power here than you did before. That, and it kind of recenters me. And if, if bad things start happening, you will respond to them differently. You're not going to go back to victim collapse mode. You're going to be able to hold it. It might be a stretch. You might collapse here and there. That's fine. But you're not the same uh, like under-resourced, disempowered person that faced those things down in the past. I love it. Well, and yeah, that's that. Be like when I think about responsibility now, it feels empowering. Yes, seems to be like what you're talking about. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Instead of feeling like, oh, responsibility means I'm going to get punished. (laughs) No. Responsibility actually is related to freedom and power and things like that. Um, It just, it feels good. I don't have any words right now. My spine just feels good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Composting Consciousness Podcast with Greg Garland and Tango Faye Vitelli. Follow us on Instagram at composting underscore consciousness and on Twitter at compost underscore thyself. You can read our blog, download our free PDF on how to compost your victimhood, You can schedule a coaching call and or sign up to receive our updates on upcoming offerings all over at compostingconsciousness.podia.com. That's compostingconsciousness.podia.com. So remember that responsibility is an opportunity for greatness, that the present is a gift always. And that all your internal parts love you immensely, like grossly, disgustingly, cheesily, immensely love you so much. Okay, bye!